Welcome to Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Joined on the phone, I have Vance. Hi, Vance. Hi, uh, good evening. I have Todd. Hi, Todd. I'm here with bells on. Excellent. Jingle, jingle. Jingle, jingle. All right. <laughs> and uh, we also have our guests. We have Brian and Jackie. Hi, you two. How's it going? Hi. Hi. All right. We're going to talk to them a little bit once we pay some bills. So this podcast is brought to you by Fat AZ Musky Products. FatAZMusky.com is the website. Uh, you can go there. You can find the store. Rod holders are in stock. The baits are not. Uh, you can also, if you feel like looking at some of our videos, hop on the Facebook page or Instagram uh, at Fat AZ Musky Products. Um, with that being said, um, I know that Musky Tackle Online still has baits. I'm not sure about Team Rhino Outdoors, but check both of them out if you are looking for some baits prior to freeze up. Uh, with that being said, everyone knows the spiel, but Todd, talk about Muddy Creek real quick. Go to Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, mcfishingguides.com. Get a hold of us, check out the website. Got a lot of cool information on there, a lot of neat pictures to look at. Next year's books are open, 2021, and they're filling quickly. So if you know when you're coming, you want to come up and fish with Taco Lake Muskies, get a hold of us sooner rather than later to get your date. And uh, we'll be fishing last Saturday in May through November up here on Chautauqua. And if you do come out fishing with us, uh, you'll be fishing out of Ranger Boats. Big shout out to Ranger Boats uh, for sponsoring Muddy Creek and this show. Uh, get all your Ranger Boat needs at Vic Sports Center. Uh, check them out for service. Um, check them out for buying a boat, of course. Demand is out doing production nowadays. Uh, they sell Starcraft, Star Welds, Tritons, and the Ranger boat. Uh, big shout out to St. Croix Rods for uh, sponsoring Muddy Creek in this show. Uh, we use them and abuse them. And that's it for me. Let's wrap it up with Todd rapping about Muskie Zinc. <laughs> yo, yo, up, down, get a hold of your local Muskie Inc. chapter. If you're into muskie fishing, should be involved in a musking chapter. Affiliated, non-affiliated, doesn't matter. But uh, most every state that has muskies has a chapter of Muskies, Inc. You know, get involved. The more you get involved, the more your chapter is going to be able to get done. Muskies, Inc. has been doing great things for many years. And uh, they've been around for like 50 years now. And uh, really helps. You can work with the local fisheries. Uh, just gives you a little bit more uh, power to talk to them and and uh they got you know the tournaments that we're, we're running all the time access to the magazine access to the lunge log anyone into muskie fishing is crazy if you are not a member of muskie's inc true words have never been spoken that's right all right <laughs> we rushed through that so we could talk a little bit longer with brian and jackie so i don't care which order but um well let, let's you guys are a part of something that's called the Jefferson Project. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Uh, can you give us like a quick, in a couple sentence thing, what is the Jefferson Project? Uh, yeah, sure. So the, the Jefferson Project is kind of just a, a collaboration between Rensselaer Polytechnic, IBM, and the Fund for Lake George. So um, it's a big group of researchers that is kind of just looking at how water quality is affected by many things. So um, usually when people walk up and ask me, what do I do? I just tell them I, I work on a water quality project and 
we do pretty much everything we can to uh, understand how this lake functions. So a lot of technologies involved, a lot of surveys. We collect a lot of stuff from the lake. And um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's gotten bigger and bigger every year. Perfect. All right. Well, that's, that's kind of like the blanket statement right now. Before we dive too much into the nuts and bolts of that, what kind of training have you guys gone through to get to this point? Like, are you labeled biologists or chemists or? Yeah. So I, usually people ask me, what do I do? Like there's a lot of different ways to describe it, but essentially I guess we're just aquatic biologists. Mm-hmm. Um, my training was, well, I worked with the, the current director back at the university of Pittsburgh. Um, I was an intern in his lab and we worked on a lot of ecotoxicology. So looking at, how amphibians are affected by different stressors like pesticides. And uh, whenever we moved up here to work at RPI, we um, we transitioned to much more of like a lake-based system. So I've been working at Lake George for the past uh, like six years. So um, my position here is senior research specialist. So I get to do basically whatever needs to be done. <laughs> we do experiments. Um, I, I do purchasing. I do uh, surveys. Um, really just everything kind of in a, in a small way. So. Uh, I've been here for a little bit longer than Jackie, but she's uh, completely different. Uh, she's with a, she's a grad student, so all of her is doing what she does. Yeah, so I've been working with the project for about a year and a half now, um, and I'm a graduate student, so just graduated from college, and I'm getting my PhD in ecology, and um, just using this as kind of part of my thesis and hopeful dissertation. So. Very nice. It's a lot of work. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Been out of college a long time and I'm darn glad. <laughs> Coming up in eight years and it certainly doesn't seem like it. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to say how long I've been out. But... <laughs> yeah. Because you were still writing on stone tablets. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So the Jefferson project, how did it come to Chautauqua Lake? Like, like one day well, you guys said, said that. Well, just... well, let's say let's say where where it started initially because okay. you said you've grown. Uh, lake George is um, obviously maybe the Lake George project is where it first started. You said it expanded. I noticed something that looked like a boat with planer boards out there this year, so I contacted you guys. What when sure. did it start? So there's there's kind of a long history. Um, the, the it originally started about six or seven years ago at this point, I think. Um, and it started at Lake George because it was very strategic for uh, the university. Like we have a freshwater institute up at Lake George, um, and a lot of our partners are around the lake. And uh, Lake George is, is gorgeous, and we we knew that there were some issues going on there that that a lot of people have been talking about. So they um, they started the project. Like I said, about I think it was about six or seven years ago at this point, and. Um, Everything that's been going on there was obviously very important because there's a lot of the initial stages of this where we have to understand how all the equipment works, and what to test and what to build and how we're going to do our surveys and everything like that. So um, Lake George, it wasn't really a pilot project because Lake George is really where this all started. It's, it's been very important. So we're, uh, we were excited to hear that we were going to be expanding to different lakes and one of them being Chautauqua. So we're, we're, obviously still talking a lot with negotiations on how that's all going to work. Um, we don't really know what the future holds for that yet, but so far we've been there for two months, just collecting as much data as possible. And it, it's been a blast. <laughs> okay. When you're collecting data, what, what is that? What are you looking for? 
Well, so Jackie and I work on this team um, that goes out and collects everything. We, we're trying to get out there and do a lot all at the same time, so it's it's efficient. But we're taking um, samples from the lake, and that means like water samples. So we like literally just take water. We're we're collecting animals, so there's a lot of microscopic stuff in the water that we need to take, like uh, phytoplankton or zooplankton. Um, as this expands, we'll do things like fish. We'll do things like insects. Um, it basically everything that lives in the lake is of interest to us. Um, we're trying to build this food web, of course, so we want to um, have a good understanding of how they all interact. Um, and we're also using a lot of um, technology and a lot of equipment that's taking um, what we call like abiotics. So we're measuring light intensity. We're measuring, uh, we, we have a sonde that has like six different um, sensors on it that we can do things like dissolve oxygen or, or conductivity. So when we're out there, we have an entire boat completely filled with stuff that whenever we go to our sites, we're, we're spending about an hour at each site taking all this data. Okay, and this is a boat you don't want to have tip over to lose all this equipment because it's probably oh, not I, cheap. I think I would have to fill out a lot of paperwork for that. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's a very extravagant boat. I've seen this boat. Well, the, boat flights, uh, yeah. the boat that you're talking about is actually not really a boat. Um, it's it's yeah. just a platform, so it sits there stationary and is moored, and um, we love it because everybody always comes up and asks us about it, and um, it's fun because the ones that were actually there at um, Chautauqua Lake were built by RPI, so everything was done in-house by this really incredible team, and uh, it was kind of customized to what we needed, so they um, they have a ton of sensors on that, and so they're taking everything from uh, the Sanj data that I was talking about, so with all these different sensors on it, and that goes up and down the water column using a winch um, that has a weather platform. Um, it has uh, an acoustic Doppler current profiler, so they can make <laughs> uh, they're, they're just basically tracking everything in the water around it. Everything that's happening. Interesting. It's amazing. Does, yeah. does boat traffic affect that? Uh, for sure. So they they definitely are able to account for that. But um, on the days that it's really rocking and rolling, like you can tell there's um, because what it's doing is using the winch inside of what we call the doghouse. It's sending the sensor up and down the water column and it's doing that kind of in a, in a way to what we, we say they're taking a profile. So it's taking the whole water column up and down. So whenever you move it down a foot, it has to know, like if there's foot, you know, uh, waves coming through, it has to kind of account for that whenever, whenever it's moving everything up and down. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So I guess after, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead. If, if I am Vance, uh, stop me. So your, your first two months, what, what have you collected so far and what are your observations? And this is, and just, this is just on Chautauqua Lake. You're saying you've been there for two months, correct? Correct. Yeah, we, we, we've been working like on Lake George for the past six, uh, six years, but um, Chautauqua kind of happened there at the end of the season. You know, we with all the COVID restrictions we've had, um, Jackie and I weren't able to really do much at Lake George this summer. So we all were sitting in our apartments writing papers and stuff. It, you know, it wasn't super exciting, but it was work that needed to be done. And um, all of a sudden we were told like, yeah, we get to go work at Chautauqua. So we picked up everything we had and ran over to Chautauqua and got some boats from the Institute. And uh, we had a lot of really good people over there that helped us um, deploy quickly. But yeah, it was about, it was about uh, two months ago that we started that. And can you just touch base on, I know you said you're looking at everything that is happening on the lake, but just what you're trying to figure, how many lakes are you on right now? 
I'm well, sure Ch- Chautauqua was the last. Yeah, currently it's just the two. Um, so everything, that's why I was saying like Georgia is so important to us because everything started there and that's where, that's where I've worked. And so we learned a lot about how Lake George functions. And then, of course, in New York, there's a lot of interest in harmful algal blooms. So these these halves are happening all over the place. And uh, one of the lakes, obviously, is Chautauqua Lake. So um, whenever we were told we were going to go work out there, a lot of the emphasis was put on the hab. So um, a lot of our sampling, a lot of our surveying was kind of centered around like, how are we going to capture this hab or all these halves that are happening at the lake? And, um, you know, uh, how do they work? <laughs> it's the big question is how do they work and what can we do to prevent them? So, and, and by have, you're, you're talking about an algae bloom, correct? Yes. A, a harmful algal bloom. Okay. Oh yeah. So what's your initial thought showed up at Chautauqua? I know when you guys showed up, there was a nice algae bloom. It was, I'll, yeah. I'll actually, I'll let, I'll let Jackie answer that in a second, but okay. I will, I will say just, of course, like this is all very preliminary. And, uh, you know, like scientists get picked on a lot because it takes a long time for us to come to conclusions because, you know, you say the wrong thing and it immediately gets jumped on. And um, two months was like a very tiny window for us to collect a lot of stuff. And we're definitely still analyzing and, and doing a lot of work with that data. So we, we were not going to have anything like revolutionary for you today, but we can definitely yeah. give you some like first impressions. Yeah. Was it, what I was looking like first impression. We were, like, was it shocking? <laughs> Holy crap. This is incredible. Definitely shocking. I've read a lot about harmful algal blooms, but actually to see it was a quite a different story. They're actually really pretty, although obviously harmful. <laughs> um, and we actually, when when I was out there the first time, it was like peak bloom. So we actually were able to collect some of the, the phytoplankton and the algae that were um, on the top, actually creating that bloom as well as um, a lot of like abiotics. So anything that's not living to kind of understand maybe what's happening during that bloom period. And do you have an idea of what's happening during that bloom period? So overall, typically during a bloom, we see that the water column goes anoxic. So you lose a lot lot of oxygen. um, And then it also tends to reduce like zooplankton so a lot of your animals tend to decrease because large blooms can create toxins Um, unfortunately we didn't have a lot of data before the bloom so it's hard for us to really be able to say at chautauqua what that specific bloom did Um, but overall usually it reduces water quality it decreases like zooplankton and other animals as well as makes the whole water column um, less oxygen rich like from top okay. to bottom the whole column yes, the southern basin that we were working in um it was interesting because the way we take our samples is we we have it separated by like the different layers of water and so those are usually like stratified by temperature so we when we were down there because it's only um about seven meters deep where we were at or six or seven meters um we weren't sure how far down we were going to find these these blooms um, so like when we're taking our, our grab samples, we lower this thing down and then we trigger it so that it takes a, a water like uh, sample at like, let's say like seven meters deep. And uh, we were pulling it up and it was still very green. So huh. what that means is that it can it just because it's a shallow basin, the, the water was um, so evenly mixed. Um, but yeah, there, there was it was surprising because 
I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to Lake George or, um, you know, lakes that are, we call them oligotropic, meaning they're very low nutrient lakes. The water clarity is, is incredible. Like you can, I mean, it looks like the tropics sometimes where you're like, you can see down very deep. So to get to Chautauqua, it was a, it was definitely a different experience for me because that bloom was, I mean, we were, we, you couldn't even really see your hand if you put it a couple inches in the water. It's green <laughs> so, like a lawn. Yeah. 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 And, and that's and the thing Chautauqua, we were talk about at the beginning of the season. I mean, this year it was crystal clear. You could see bottom. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, you that's bottom. I mean, out 12, 14 feet, uh, you know, on a calm day. We were letting lures out to fish that I know are down there like 70 feet. You could sit up and you could see them sparkling and shining down there. Yeah. But when it comes on, it comes with a vengeance. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And that's something that I like to hear about because a lot of the work that I've done at Lake George is working with residents. Um, I've run a couple of surveys where we work specifically with the residents like that live on the lake. And um, it's so interesting to hear all the different accounts from people because it, you guys are really the ones that are there. Like you're, you live there, you've lived there your whole lives. So we want to hear, um, you know, that, that history. We don't live there. We just work on the lake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the area. Every single day. Six months, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Six months of the oh, year. <laughs> are on, we're not just living there. We're on the water. We're on the water. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, we're on the water. yeah. So this is all uh, very interesting stuff. Um, yeah. So the algae. Go ahead, Vance. Go ahead. I was going to no, say, please. the algae bloom in the southern basin, you guys noticed, is from the bottom to the top. Well, not necessarily. I'm just saying that the we weren't sure how far down it was going to go because obviously these things can be driven by like light, and um, we we didn't know if it was going to go all the way down to the bottom or if it were if it was only happening on the surface of the water. Okay, and did you did you find a spot where it kind of stopped? Uh, there's like a gradient actually. There, like so, as we're going up um, towards Bemis Point, we kind of referred to that area as like the S bend, and. Um, as we were going north and through Bemis and then up past, is it, I think, Long Point, um, yeah, we could see that it slowly transitioned into being a little more clear water. And in the first couple of weeks I was there, I actually lined up the water samples we were taking in these, like, little bottles. And you could you could very clearly line them up by just sight. <laughs> um, yeah. you, could, you could line it up from north to south. Now, do you think wind is playing a big – here's just my – you know, something that I've noticed on the oh. windy days in the South end, as you said, it's only, you know, you have a maximum depth of 18 feet, uh, on those real windy days, it's turned in the water just looks a little bit Brown, maybe a little green on, on some of the calm, when you get a day where it's dead flat calm and I, I will go down there and I'll take my boat and I'll troll through there. And when like I can look behind my prop. I can look behind my the line that's coming off the rod that I'm fishing or my little planer board. And on those calm days, it will it seems to separate that. And to me, it looks like there's very clear water underneath that blue green algae that's sitting on top. Like the water looks clear. And then when you go down there on the days that's windy the whole water just looks murky. I mean, it, 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 like, is that algae on a calm day, is it going to, like, settle to the top of the water? So, in general, a lot of your, like, cyanobacteria algae, so that's what's making a lot of these harmful algal blooms, 
they have little vacuoles inside of them that basically allows them to float to the surface, mm-hmm. um, which is part of the reason they're able to dominate because they basically float to the surface, cover the surface, and kill off a lot of the other algae by just blocking off the sun and blocking off like oxygen um, because <clears throat> oxygen is not able to come back into the water column as easily because the bloom's covering it. So overall, your bloom will naturally um, stay on the surface. And then, yeah, when you have those windy days or stuff, um, you can actually see it circling or filling the whole water column. Yeah. 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 And we definitely think the weather is playing a big role in this. And um, so all of those floating platforms that you saw there, they have weather stations on them. And uh, a lot yeah. of the work that we did at Lake George was great because they have an incredible weather network there. Um, you can you can even go on. Uh, we have a data dashboard that you can look at for the Jefferson Project. And you can get real-time weather updates just from the weather that we uh, have there in our weather modeling. Interesting. Very cool. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, what did you notice about the oxygenation in uh, these? You have, okay, let me just... You have two stations on the lake, one south. What about the oxygenation in the lake? What did you notice uh, with the southern bloom and the northern bloom uh, up to this point in these in this small two-month period? Well, without having looked at it too much, because it was um, mostly my role was collecting the data, and then we have a lot of uh, work that's going on back here to kind of analyze it and graph it. Um, but from what I've seen so far is it was it was kind of what we expected to see like with blooms. I think just even as you get um, towards the towards the bottom of the lake, it's going a little more anoxic or lowering in oxygen. Um, so far, I haven't seen anything that's you know too out of the ordinary. Um, so typical. Uh, Typical turn. We'll see what happened there at the end of the season. I didn't get to look at it too much, but so far I, I thought it looked normal. Is it comparable, like the same, or with between the north and the south? Even between the north and the south. Yeah, you you there's sure. one there's one sitting in what uh, like probably out in like 40 feet in the north basin, or near yeah, the Whitfield, and the other yeah. one is in 16, 17 feet in the south basin. Yeah, that's the hard part because they're two very different, like, you know, depths. It's going to be kind of hard to yeah. compare. But I would say, at, like, similar depths, they had, um, I thought they had similar oxygen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. Okay. So when you guys collect all this data, now you had two months worth of data. When you get it all compiled, is it just going to kind of come into some charts and graphs that you'll interpret, or does this, like, release to the public? What's it all mean? What well, I guess it, it's typically a pretty long process. So, um, like at Lake George, they've been doing an offshore chemistry program there for uh, close to forty years, and so they, you know, after all that time, they have these reports every once in a while, and even papers that come out of it. But um, what we're doing, like here at the Jefferson Project, is we're typically collecting all this data so that we can use it in uh, modeling. So we're they're doing. Uh, we have data modelers here who are doing um, really advanced stuff where they're they're making these equations and functions where they're able to predict um, what could happen in the future. So a lot of work the Jefferson Project is trying to do is how can we prevent things from happening in the future? 
where we can do these predictions because of what we've observed in the past. Um, so things like invasive species and harmful algal blooms, there's one thing that we know about them, and it's that if they're present in a lake, they're probably going to be there for a long time. It's really hard to get rid of stuff. So we want to be able to prevent stuff rather than kind of uh, uh, mitigate it, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So this is... data. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, so this is more or less, let's figure out why this is happening. Not so much that we're going to fix it, but we're going to use this as to prevent on other bodies of water. So it, it's it's a difficult question because like a lot of people ask me that all the time. And I tell them as like my role as a scientist is I'm not actually there, the, the person that fixes them. What we do is we can inform people who can do that. So our data that we're collecting will inform, um, you know, policymakers and things like that, where depending on what we find, it might help them make their decisions a little better. So I, I feel bad because a lot of people always are looking to me for, for the answer. And I'm yes, always yes. like, well, I, I need to be unbiased. <laughs> so um, I typically am not the person that's going to be out there um, helping to get rid of it. There's many other people to do. Well, without taking a side, how would you get rid of it? You were the ruler of the world, and you had to get rid of this algae. How would you do it? Well, to get rid of harmful algal blooms specifically, it's kind of it's almost tough to answer because we don't exactly know what's causing them, and there's a lot of different kinds because these things can be caused by different species. So, um, one that gets talked about a lot is microcystis, and yeah, I mean, the the answer is that we're kind of doing this to the whole world, the, the oceans, land, everywhere. It's the people that are kind of causing these problems. So, you know, if, if people tell me like everything was great at, um, at Chautauqua up until the past, like whatever, let's say 10 years, well, you can, you can kind of see like, well, what have we been doing to the water in the past 10 years? And if it's, if it's, you know, more farmland or more nutrients or sewage runoff, whatever it is, it's almost always caused by humans. Mm-hmm. So that's called anthropogenic stressors. You know, we, we do this. And so a yeah. lot of the work that I have, worked on or a lot, of, a lot of work that I've done in the past is with anthropogenic stressors like pesticides, um, road salt. Um, you know, it's just a lot of stuff that we need in this world and, you know, to function. And how do we, how do we use it in a way that doesn't cause so much damage? Yeah. Would you say that looking at a lake that, um, every piece of property is owned around the lake, is that a stressor? Uh, I would say absolutely. Yeah, that's not, you know, anything that's deviating from the natural condition. Sure. Now, what does this sound like from a scientific uh, (laughs) standpoint? Um, And this is just somebody that's been fishing up there their whole life. You've got a shallow basin, you have a deep basin. That's the North Basin and South Basin. Um, I think that the weeds grow first in the southern basin because it's shallower so photosynthesis happens quicker uh, light penetrates quicker it's shallower weeds grow quick they die um, they rise and they bake and they create this algae quicker than it happens in the basin um, would you say that that is somewhat true or maybe not with your science background yeah, i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily go that route the, the thing about the, the shallow uh, shallowness of the water, it only kind of really matters up to a point. And most of your vegetation that you're seeing is along the edge, so where it's like really shallow, because light isn't going to be able to penetrate deep enough um, through the photo, like to your photic zone. So 
you're not really getting a lot of macro fights or like aquatic plants that are happening anywhere below like um i think like 20 feet or so so i wouldn't say that that route is what's causing anything um in particular okay but you're saying that yes the weeds grow in the shallows quicker because of light penetration yeah they need light for sure okay now if you even google mapped chautauqua lake uh, it looks like something that's green on it, as green as a lawn on the southern basin, and uh, the northern basin photo is a deep blue, if you will. Um, why would you suspect that in a basin that gets 17 feet deep at its max, which is the southern basin, why is it turning? that green and not doing it up north uh as in that coloration like why why is it happening only on the southern basin and not in the north basin i know it's happening in both but um to the severity to the severity the whole southern basin when this algae bloom comes along it is thick and uh very palpable so what's going on there yeah, so I, I think one of the theories is that your lake, the lake drains to the south, right? It, it, mm-hmm. so I'm used to Lake George drains to the north. So at, at Chautauqua, because everything drains to the south, everything that's coming into the lake is kind of making its way into um, the, the southern basin. And like you said, it is shallow, so there's not as much water there. So maybe if everything's getting kind of concentrated, all these nutrients are available there. That's where all the productivity is and, and all the algae can kind of start there. And once those blooms start to happen, they get kind of out of control because, like Jackie said, they tend to dominate. So everything's starting down there, and then it can work its way slowly up towards the North Basin. That's a total guess. We have no idea yet, but, um, you know. I like guesses. Well, I I would say that's what's happened just by getting to fish here all the time. You see it creeping north some years. We have algae much further north than we do other years. But it definitely starts in the south and creeps to the north. You're, yeah. you're there, you were in Bemis there. I mean, uh, that usually gets it pretty bad, too. There's years it comes up, you know, a couple miles north. Some years that water in the north never gets that stain, algae bloom stain. Uh, some years it does, some years it doesn't. But Well, I have, I have a question for you, then, because obviously you guys are in the water a lot. Do you start to notice things floating in the water before you actually see it turn green? Yes. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's because it's new to me, and it's just something we're starting to learn about. But um, you know, if these are uh, colonies that are forming in the water before they start to become more dominant, and, and it looks like chunky at times. Like, okay. It's more like little chunks, and then you know it takes over. Yeah. No. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, what are those colonies? Uh, so there's there's thousands of different kinds of, of algae out there. Um, they can form in colonies. They can be unicellular. They can be complicated and everything like that. So um, some of the some of the ones that are causing harmful algal blooms can be can be colonies. So they're they're actually like visible in the water. Um, and I mean like you can actually like see them. So when you're seeing green, you're seeing like a, a just a, a big concentration of algae. But whenever you actually see like the floating stuff in the water, that can be a colony. A toxic blue green. I mean, it looks like uh, 
turquoise. So, and, so it's know. like the mothership. It comes and it's going to deploy its troops and. Yeah, you can kind of think of it that way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, because you got to explain <laughs> it to people like you know me. Um, oh, definitely. All right. So. Um, no, no, no. Go. You, you're. You guys got life experience up there. I'm just down here in the dark. Go ahead. Uh, yes. So we'll notice this uh, throughout the season. Obviously, the year starts very clear. Um, it's the water seems filtrated great. Um, we can see to the bottom in the shallows. Um, and then this algae bloom comes. We will literally be fishing weed lines that they start in 12 foot of water. And then in two weeks, they will be into 10 foot of water and eight foot of water uh, and things of that nature. These weeds are disappearing. Uh, and then all of a sudden this algae bloom uh, comes along. What defines a harmful algae bloom? What is it harmful to? Is it detrimental to the human? Is it detrimental to the fish in the lake? Uh, what is a harmful algae bloom? What's it doing? Yeah, so so what defines a harmful algal bloom is basically when an algae type dominates over all the other ones. And so it creates more of that surface scum and then it has some detrimental impact. Um, and so a lot of these harmful algal blooms can create toxins and these are hepatotoxins. So those affect your liver and that can impact humans, that can impact um, dogs. Um, that can also obviously then impact all of the organisms that are actually living in the water. Um, and these toxins are only produced when the algae reaches a concentration that's really high. So it's only when we actually see these blooms occur that toxins are created. And those toxins can be pretty harmful to anything living, drinking, or swimming in the water. Um, and then also as we kind of touched on before, um, it can also, because it covers over the top of the water, can cause a bit more noxic situation down below as well. And then also because it kills off the other algae, a lot of your species that eat the algae, that eat like normal algae, um, struggle because they can't actually eat this harmful algae because there's some toxins in it. So it kind of has like multiple different faceted effects. Okay. Interesting. What, what would be what would be a species that eats the algae? So those are called zooplankton. Um, something that like you, you as fishermen should be really interested in is how a, like the food web of a lake works. Um, everything it kind of follows this chain, but you have algae down at the bottom. There are these primary producers, and then up above them are zooplankton. And zooplankton are these microscopic crustaceans. Um, if you ever grew like like sea monkeys when you were a kid or something. It's very similar to that. They're like almost visible to the naked eye, but we typically like use microscopes and stuff to identify them. They they filter feed the water constantly, and that's what helps them with it for being clear. But um, they can't eat all sorts of algae, so they're 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 a little picky. <laughs> and um, so whenever you get like a big concentration of these harmful al um, algae species, that's when it becomes a problem. And if you're not able to feed a, a big zooplankton population and those zooplankton die off, then your younger fish that are eating the zooplankton, then they're not able to survive. And then the bigger fish that are eating the smaller fish, they're not able to survive. 
So you can see quickly how like just one little thing can kind of disrupt the food chain. Now, I, I, I will say, like, the, you know, the differences between the years. I mean, Vance, you, you've been out there more than I have. But in the last couple of years, when when this has come on, we, I, I have seen a lot of that. Uh, the blue-green, toxic-looking, neon. Uh, I did not see that this season out there. I did not. It was more brown. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought it was actually pretty... Uh, a mild bloom this year. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we've seen it where it, it looks like a highlighter in the water this yeah. year. Not so much. Yeah, I don't even know if I saw any of that this year. And there's some years we see a lot. Uh, that's, in, that's in the Southern Basin you're talking about? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is, this is harmful for, uh, it's harmful for humans, harmful for for the fish as well. I'm uh, more concerned about how it's harmful for the uh, game fish, which uh, we, you know, all three of us are, are running our lives off of on this uh, podcast hosting it. What could it kill fish? Uh, this this uh, algae bloom. Uh, is, it, is it toxic to toxic to fish, not disrupting the food chain? Like if you kept a fish in it for so long, could it attack the gills or something like that? I mean, I, I think that really the mode of operation there is it's not it's not going to directly kill the fish, but because like Jackie was saying, it can create an anoxic environment and they need a lot of oxygen to survive. Um, mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say it's ne- necessarily directly toxic to the fish, but. It can definitely have indirect, um, you know, effects where it's going to be affecting the bigger muskie for sure. So again, without really anything to re- any data to really back that up, um, I'm guessing. But that's yeah. that's definitely a big thing we're focusing on because, you know, we we totally understand that like people like yourselves, like even tourism, they're the biggest industries that are at these lakes. Um, and, and protecting the fisheries are the most um, the, the, uh, what's it most effective way to to get money back into the the, the system there so it, it, clear water and being able to have health or healthy lakes like that's really important so for sure now does... okay now how can it how can it affect humans so it's a hepatotoxin so that means it can affect the liver and typically we're talking about like if you're drinking the water and so um, there's like regulations on how much of the concentration can be in drinking water for it to be safe to humans. Um, it's not exactly what we specifically research, um, but it is pretty fairly common in the literature to have um, to kind of know that concentration. And basically, if you see a bloom, don't drink the water. Or or eat the fish in, correct? Well, I am. I haven't read on the literature on that one. Um, I think a lot of fish, you'd have to have a lot of it in their system for that to affect it. Mm-hmm. They would have to bioaccumulate the toxin, and I'm not sure that it does that. But because like fish aren't eating the algae directly, they're not filter feeding algae, then it shouldn't be directly affecting what you can eat. So, And it seems just common sense for uh, any type of... Uh, living being on there to, to go into survival mode if they're like hey there's no oxygen in this area uh say in five foot of water so i'm just going to swim down here to 15 where it's real chill 
mm-hmm. and uh, be able to breathe. Yep. So, and colder water also holds oxygen a lot better. So that's why, you know, when I saw you guys out there fishing, I, I might have even seen you guys one day, but um, they, I, I noticed whenever we were trying to find the deepest spot in the lake, I took a quick scan and I was like, oh, I think I know where it's at because it's where all the fishermen are. <laughs> um, well, you know, it, at that point, yeah, it, the the deepest part in the lake is up in uh, DeWittville Bay, and it, it reaches into the 70s there. It's on, I guess you would call it the eastern shoreline, mm-hmm. um, and depending on uh, what time of year. Musky fishermen don't really fish that deep, but the walleye guys and the perch guys uh, tend to, to uh, gravitate to those areas. Yeah. Um, does anybody have, do you have anything else to touch base on? Um, about, you know, just the oxygenation and how this is detrimental. Cause I have a couple more questions um, before we wrap things up here, just going into a different stage of what is actually happening on Chautauqua Lake with maybe the homeowners association. Um, I, something about the oxygen. Can the algae take so much oxygen out of the water that there's like nothing can survive? Or is there like a point to where it starts to kill itself? So we're just not using the answer. Um, so basically, it's not really the algae is taking up oxygen because algaes are producers. Like, so they, they're actually putting oxygen into the environment. Okay. But um, what, there's all this breakdown because you constantly have these algal cells breaking down. So all this bacterial um, breakdown is happening, and that's what eats up all the oxygen. So... So, it's not necessarily just the, the algae itself. It's the algae breaking down. So the algae's helping the oxygen until it dies, and then at the funeral it just it just uses all the oxygen up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's, that's what the, the, a healthy system is going to have algae in it as well. Like we don't need to say that, like, you know, if, if we go to Lake George, then we're not going to find algae. It, it needs it. It's part of the food web. Okay. Um, but, yeah, any, any you know, too much of one thing is going to be bad for sure. Okay. What would you say that uh, Ian Malcolm's famous quote was? Life finds a way. I do love Jurassic Park. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah, and and you know, just in, I think this is a good time to interject here with this. You know, uh, there's an old old book written. I think it was written in 1950 and it's about musky fishing man man against musky and written the guys that wrote it lived in the south basin it was all about the musky fishing so they're writing it in the 50s or 60 but they're talking about the 20s and 30s they write about you know what like they were i'm trying to remember some quotes but it was summer it was august it's the kind of days that you've stepped in the water and you can't see your toes. You can't see your finger. Just as you said earlier, I can't see my hand one foot under the surface. These are the things that we're talking about because the algae had come on. It was happening back that long ago. Was it happening all along? I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, you know, honestly, that's something that like we as scientists wish we had these, um, you know, accounts of that because, it's so difficult because um, you never want to discredit anybody because it's not that they're wrong. It says maybe they remember things differently or, you know, nostalgia can have a lot of, lot to do with it. But um, it's it's tough whenever people tell us like, oh, we noticed water quality has been dropping since we were children. And we're like, 
oh, if only we could like quantify that. Like we always want to yeah. be able to have the data, you know, it's always about the data. So um, I, I know I, I love hearing about stuff like that. And, and we, we even work with social scientists here who um, interview local residents and, and get that kind of info. I'm sure you'll get info like, like that because I've taken so many people out, the older guys that have lived here, a lot older, and they say the same thing. Like everyone is talking about, oh, the water's terrible, the water's terrible. But I talked to some of these older guys like, the water's the same as it was when I was a kid. And these guys are 70. That's all the longer you can go back, 70 or 80. But you have this book written where they talk about the same thing. And I'm reading, I'm like, they're talking about the algae bloom. You can't see your hand if you put it in the water. That's very interesting. It's nice to hear that kind of stuff. I mean, it's cool to hear that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. And, and I will say, too, just a real quick point is that I couldn't believe how incredibly friendly everybody was that we've met so far. It's it's really fun for me because I'm a very social person, and obviously we were stuck we were stuck inside a lot during um, you know the past summer. So yeah. out in the water, tons of boats came up to us to talk to us, and we'll stop by. Like we were working at the Chautauqua Institute, filtering samples and doing everything we had to do. People would walk up and, and talk to us, and it was great to to kind of um, you know get to know the residents a little bit. And everybody was very friendly, so we appreciate that. Well, that's great. I mean. No one tried to rob you, right? Uh, no, not yet. <laughs> I think we'll be okay. Okay. Didn't know if they were doing the bait and switch there. But so, like, when you said you're doing filtering, like, you take the water samples and the pour it through a filter to collect stuff, or how, how do you kind of figure that part out? Data. How about uh, how they pronounce algae uh, against the common man here, too, though? We're saying stuff in algae, and they're saying algal yeah. bloom. We're way out of our leagues here. Yeah, because they're so obviously this is all very good. They're a lot smarter than us. Okay, we're back. So I asked about the filter. Like, are you literally putting this thing through like a filter to to pull stuff out? Oh yeah, we have to do a lot of different kinds of filtering because depending on what we're um, analyzing, it requires different levels of filtration. Um, sometimes if we just want to know like a uh, total phosphorus or total nitrogen, because we want to know how many nutrients are in the water that are available to be used by um, like things like algae, uh, like we, don't build, we don't filter it at all. But then um, other things, we, we're going to put it through a filter that honestly looks like um, like plastic. It's a, like a 0.4 micron filter. It's, you know, so there, there's a lot of different ways that we have to do this and a lot of ways to process the samples. So however much time you see us on the water, we're spending almost or sometimes twice as much back in the lab doing that work. Are, are you finding like levels that are not normal of, of various, you know, chemicals that, that would cause these blooms? They're like, Oh, this is really spiked high. I don't know. Name something. I'm not going to sound stupid by guessing a name. <laughs> um, no, de definitely. I mean, that's the whole thing is that like the, we, we understand the basic biology of how these things work and they, they need nutrients to survive. So yeah, we're definitely seeing a lot of nutrients in the water, and um, that can that can lead to the sort of thing. That's that's not the end all be all, but that's that's a necessary part. So so definitely the answer is yes. Now the next question, I'm going somewhere with this. Is that something that is harvestable? Like it, like can you put a giant pump in the water, start cranking water out, running through some kind of filter, and take whatever you need? You know, let's just say it's I don't know calcium, and you're pulling all this calcium out and having a viable 
deposit of calcium to do sell it on the market or something. Is that doable to try to mitigate some of the bloom or? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say so. And because the problem is, is that let's just say, yeah, if there's, if there's nutrient runoff happening, whether it's coming from um, like wastewater treatment plants or from farmland or whatever the case may be, because this isn't, this isn't unique to Chautauqua Lake. This is a problem with water all over the world. Um, it's not necessarily harvestable. No, it's, it's in the water. And um, typically these nutrients aren't in there long enough um, in some systems where they're going to be used up immediately, but it's when you get that, that um, such a, a high amount that there's an excess and that's when you see it start to, um, you know, you'll have more algae growing and that's why water will be green. And um, you'll see it, you know, have more slime growing on rocks. That, that, those are the effects. Okay. Well, I was trying to solve the world's problems, but you shot me down. <laughs> I know, I know it's, it's, um, it, it seems like it should be obvious, but um, this is a this is a problem happening everywhere right now, and that's why this uh, project in particular is of interest to us because it's it's a big deal. Well, it's interesting there. So, all right. So, like moving forward, you're, we're, we're approaching like soon. It's going to be really cold and ice on the on the lake. What do you what do you guys do then? So because there isn't as much happening whenever the, the water, the water is frozen. Like there isn't, um, you know, metabolism goes down and basically everything. So you don't have to um, sample as frequently as we do. Um, we typically like at Lake George, for example, um, we actually go out on the ice and we will take samples through the ice. <laughs> um, since it's obviously a lot more work to do that, we don't do it as often. Um, but like I said, because the, we don't need as high of a resolution, like we don't need to sample as frequently. Um, it's typically not even needed. Mm-hmm. Have, uh, but yeah, we're, we're on the ice for sure. That's awesome. In, in okay. your you know, prior experience, have you seen a correlation between the severity of winter and the following year's blooms or maybe types of blooms? I, I, I think it's really hard to predict and, I think the severity of winter, it's just kind of like, um, it's, it, I'm, I'm always so influenced by what I experience, but you know, even because we're, we're away over here, six hours away, like you guys would be experiencing something completely different over there. Um, so it's, I'll just say it's hard to say. And also this is the first time I've worked on a lake like yours before. So, um, I, I guess I don't have enough experience to say. Is it, I mean, it, it, is temperature playing a part like water temps? Uh, for sure, yeah. You can, I, I feel like water temps was a big thing. This yeah. year it got warm. We had no rain. The the lake was nice and clear. And when it came, it came like over like a couple day period. I remember Vance and I talking like the algae starting, and a couple days later it's like, oh yeah, it started. Yeah, yeah. If you <laughs> have like a really come that quick. If you have like a warm spring, then that then that can kind of kickstart things because everything can get going a lot faster because everything is temperature driven. So uh, yeah, that'll definitely play a role. Yeah. Hmm. So it might not be the severity of winter, just how long it sticks around. That's, that's usually how I see it because everything drops below a threshold at some point. And, um, nothing's able to really function normal. So once you, once it hits spring, that's when everything starts to come back. And you're going to get a lot of spring runoff and everything running in um, with the the snow melt. So it's it, it totally depends. But yeah. Okay. And then next spring, you're going to be right back at it, starting to collect samples and just keep going. 
Uh, we certainly hope so. <laughs> we, uh, again, it's hard to give a, a definitive answer right now because all that is um, very dependent with all of our partners and everything going on there. I'm just, uh, I'm just the field guy, but uh, we certainly hope so. <laughs> okay. So just remember your weather buoys are still out there right now. And oh yeah. Okay. Kind of cold. <laughs> Uh, it is. It got cold very quickly. Uh, I, I finished up um, the last round of field sampling was last week. So I was out there with, with another postdoc and um, we'll be coming back, um, I think, sometime in November to pull off the buoys. OK, yeah. Well, that'll be fun. <laughs> the comrades have been hanging out a lot on the one in the south, I've seen. I noticed that. And whenever I had to um, switch out a fuse, I really enjoyed all the, the presents they left for me. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> so you're not really sure the length of the, of the project here at Chautauqua. Um, no, I don't think there's been any um, like time commitment done yet. No. Okay. Um, I guess, you know, un- unless you guys got anything else, I got a cup Vance and Todd I'm talking to any other questions about this. I, I can kind of start going into some, some wrap up stuff. If, I do. Uh, they have been spraying the weeds at Chautauqua for the past couple of years. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Can that help the algae bloom? Is it, does it prevent it? Does it, do you think it, it's a great uh, question. Jump start, jump starts it. What do you think? Yeah, we, well, so we haven't actually learned too much about that yet because we got here so late in the season. Um, but we know that that's something that's been going on, and there's a lot of discussions going on about that. So, it, like I said, it's it's tough to really make a, a call right now because we just don't have enough information. Um, so, yeah, it's just uh, all I can say is I, I know that it's happening, but we don't really know much about it. <laughs> what's your gut feeling? I know you don't like that question, but what's the gut feeling? Good or bad? This this is the problem with scientists. It's it's kind of hard for us to make a, a, a gut call because – all of our answers are driven by data, and I just don't do it to get the data. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I know it sounds so lame, but you know, <laughs> I, I'm going to get an answer out of you, but I'm going to frame it differently. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> you have a pond, and you've been getting this algae. Um, would you or would you not put weed killer in that pond? Well, so okay. The, the thing that I would want to consider is what else is it going to affect. And so if you're if you're putting something in there like in some sort of um, pesticide to control this, I'm, I'm sure it can affect other things. So that's something that you would want to consider. Um, but, yeah, with the with all the weeds dying, that could be releasing nutrients back into the water. Um, it, it's it could go a lot of different ways. And, and like I said, I just I don't really know the answer. Yeah. But would you spray it's- those icky weeds from your pond? <laughs> You collect more data and then make a decision the following year. You're fighting like like 10 years of training. (laughs) I was just wondering if you had a pond, if you wanted the weeds gone, would you put the weed killer in? You're getting very basic here, Randy. I'm boiling it down to... I got a weed. I want to kill it. Me, me, me personally, I like things natural, so I don't know. <laughs> okay, so yes, I like that answer. I do too. Yes, I like that answer because there are people here that think we're going to kill these weeds, we're going to put this chemical in there, and it's going to take care of the algae problem. And I'm just a fisherman, I'm just going what I've been watching for the last 30, 40 years fishing here. And when I hear that, I'm like, 
That ain't gonna do nothing to the algae. <laughs> you know. Uh, one of the sick. things I one of the things I'll definitely say is that it's really important that we we control invasive species for sure. And yeah. and like I said earlier, we have to mitigate them and stop them from actually getting into the system rather than trying to fix them once they're there. It's it's not that you can't do it, it's just that it's so much easier and efficient and cost effective. So um, a big thing that we do at Lake George is we really try to maintain a boat washing program um, and, and keep a good, uh, like a survey effort to understand what the invasives are doing there. So, you know, it's, it's tough because like a lot of invasive species are really quickly labeled as definitely bad, but we don't necessarily know that until the research is done. So, and it's tough to say. Hmm. I wanted to ask you guys um, specifically about zebra mussels and how often you see zebra mussels at Chautauqua. Every day. <laughs> Vance just said every day. Yeah, yeah. Every, if you, every if day. you pull up a weed right now, there's some milfor growing in that south basin. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went in there and cast it a little bit. You pull up a weed that's like seven feet long, it's still growing in seven feet of water. The uh, zebra mussels are five feet up the stem. Oh, wow. Okay. And how long have you been seeing that? Like your your whole life, or is that a recent thing? That's a recent thing. There's a lot of times there's not that much weeds growing down there, but I'll tell you right now they're everywhere. And the roots, like like if you happen to catch one that has roots on it, Vance, you can attest to this. The whole root ball is just zebra mussels. Yeah, yeah, they're very prevalent. Huh. Like if someone if asks about notice- zebra mussels, like oh, there's one right there laying in the back of the boat. Uh, and do you notice them more in the southern basin than the northern basin, or are they pretty much evenly spread? More in the southern basin, for sure. I thought I think they're everywhere. Mm. Okay, I'm just curious. We we haven't really had a chance to do a lot of surveying for them. Um, in the uh, the docks that were coming out at the Chautauqua Institute, they pulled them up on the on the lawn, and I was like, wow, <laughs> like I had never seen so many before. Um, no. So that was interesting. You, you find a post in the water, and it's a two-inch diameter post. When you pull it out, it's a four-inch diameter post. Yeah, they don't, they're pretty lazy because it is not clear water down there. <laughs> yeah, they should that's be built more. Yeah. That's yeah. a very that's an interesting point, and that's that's kind of something that we want to talk about it whenever we we get a little more of this data. We in a lot of these water systems, whenever you have um, these invasives that come in, sometimes. Um, they can clean up the water <laughs> and it might not necessarily be a good thing. It might look better, but it might not be healthy for the ecosystem. But um, yeah, we were curious on what that's doing down there. Well, it's collecting on stuff. That's for sure. <laughs> Solid in Chautauqua. Solid. Solid zebra mussel. Todd, how long ago did you start noticing them? Have they been in there for 20, 30, 40 years? Yeah, or? I'd- I don't know. The same time the zebras took over everything. I mean, they took over a lot of lakes I used to fish in Canada, you know, which those ones they filtered and like the water cleared and it was different fishing. You had to go tuck into the weeds, but they can't keep up on this lake. I think what Vance said there, he's right. They're just lazy. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Lazy zebras. I don't know. They're millennials. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They don't filter enough. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a topic I try to talk to a lot of people about because um, people always think that, you know, washing your boat or something can be such a, um, a problem or difficult to do. And what I try to get them to understand is that, you know, you're making your living off of this lake and you want to protect it. And, and just a little bit of work can prevent something really big. So, 
Yeah, yeah. it would be nice to see boat washing stations everywhere uh, on launches, especially state launches. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be really cool to see. You see them more out uh, when you when you start making your way out west. Um, you know, the tournaments that Todd and I have fished, there's, uh, you know, we've oh, yeah. seen washdown stations there, which is really cool. Um, oh, yeah. Good. Not over here yet, though. Now, is this Jefferson Project, did this come from the University of Pittsburgh? Uh, no, actually, it, it did. It did start at Rensselaer Polytechnic. Um, okay. The director and myself and a few grad students. We we came here back in 2014, and we were all from University of Pittsburgh. I actually I grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, went to school there, so it was kind of funny whenever I was working over there to talk about. I saw a lot of a lot of uh, Sealers gear and was feeling. Oh, yeah. Sealers. Sealers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I grew up in Pittsburgh too, so it's cool to uh, have some ties there. I I was going to ask if you did because I could tell by the accent. <laughs> oh wow! I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad Jim's thing. Guys don't, you, Jim's guys don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, no one up here understands that. <laughs> very very cool. I mean, Pip sucks, but <laughs> they just can't win. It's a, it's always a struggle. When yeah. I was there, I think we had four coaches in four years. Oh, you're in the good. Yeah, you're in the great years. Yeah. <laughs> they should have never got rid of one step. The one guy never coached a game. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's true. Oh my we're gonna, god. We're gonna, yeah. We're when, uh, get more, but yeah, they they made all this marketing for him when I was a student. Like they had banners yeah. in our school, and then he never even coached a game. Yeah, he never even got to coach. Oh my uh, god. That was the Ken or the Graham years. The uh, what was that guy's name? High octane, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, Pitsaros. We beat West Virginia once, though. Thirteen times. A few times. A few times, yeah. (laughs) For all you West Virginia listeners, good stuff. Yeah, that was very interesting talking to you guys. I got one question. My final question. What can the normal people do to help these problems? Um, I, I worded that very poorly. Like, <laughs> what, like, because I, I, I'm trying to like come up with more or less. I, I have a feeling the answer is going to be don't pollute. But no, no. no. It, it, well, I mean, obviously, yeah, don't do that. But um, <laughs> the uh, the real answer is that you should probably just do your best to educate yourself on what's going on. And, and that's what you guys are doing right now. And it's what a lot of people that come up to us and talk to us, um, that's what they're doing too. It's, it's educating yourself on what's happening is the most effective way. And just by having a better understanding, you can, you can change your life a little bit and respect the water, respect nature more in a way that's going to help it. So that's all, that's all we really ask. But like for these and, blooms and stuff, like don't fertilize your lawn or something. Is, is there something like yeah actually. i mean yeah i mean if you if you um don't mind having a little more clover in your lawn things like that sure that can help but uh yeah just anything just generally eco-friendly i'm all for it <laughs> okay be eco-friendly people there <laughs> we're, we're not too crazy about it i mean I, I i love the environment and i understand that some things just aren't feasible sometimes but um little things can make a big difference 
Excellent. All right. Vance, Todd, do you have anything else to add? I'm good. Thanks so much for coming on. It was a very interesting talk. All right. You know, maybe maybe we'll have Little you on, on again. Uh, yeah. Maybe we'll have you on again um, when some data is collected, and uh, I'm sure. And we can point Ooh. fingers at who caused all this. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Yeah, no, we really appreciate it. This is fun. This is the first time I've done something like this. Oh, we it was a blast having you. We weren't really organized. We used big words like stuff and things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do I. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> What's this pea soup growing down here in the soft basin? Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of grandma's cooking. <laughs> All right. Do you guys have any questions before we wrap it up? Uh, no, I think so. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, thank you. This was fun. We, there was an hour and almost five minutes. Didn't see that. So, all right. Big thanks to Brian and Jackie, Jefferson Project. And uh, from there, uh, big thanks to Fatty Z Muskie Products, Muddy Creek Fishing Guide, St. Croix Rods, Vix Marine, Ranger Boats, and Muskies, Inc., Uh, With that, everyone who's still fishing, good luck. Good luck hunting, and thanks for listening.